Enoa. 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 For me, music is, I guess it's much like water. It's something that's living. It's something that's constantly in motion. It's fluid and it lives inside us. And it's also something that lives around us. It's something we cannot live without. Yes, music is a living organism in constant change. I'm Jamie Mann and I was born in 1987 in London and I'm an artist working mainly as a composer and a conductor. Hello Jamie Mann. Hello Saskia. <laughs> what is your musical philosophy? Well, as a composer, music is about creation. And a lot of music that we hear is repertoire, especially in classical music. It's the reiteration of music from another time. And I think my philosophy would be that music has to be something that's living, something that's made today, something that's new, but at the same time something that speaks from the old to the present to the future. So it's something that should be timeless. I think to be a composer is not something you actually choose. It's something that you have to do. It's something that actually maybe chooses you. At some point you decide that you can't live without writing music and then you wake up and you look at the world and think, okay, this is the world I live in. If I want to write music, what do I do? And the logical thing is to become a composer. That's the title that we put creating music under. And so... You say, okay, well, if I want to write music, then I'm a composer. And then I get, yeah, and then it's just waiting to see where that journey takes you when you take on that title. Tell us something about your background. So both my parents are Chinese and my father's side, being from Hong Kong, uh, my grandfather came to London in the 50s to work as a kitchen cleaner, just in the kitchens, I think in Chinatown. And I'm this two generations after that. So I'm the third generation British-born Chinese. And... Well, I grew up in a fish and chip shop. So my parents um, worked, I think, 6 a.m. until 2 a.m., like every day. So I grew up in the kitchen of a fish and chip shop, and they couldn't afford to um, to pay for someone to look after me. So I spent most of my childhood actually in the kitchen, and the, we had a piano in the kitchen, and that was where I practiced. And And I guess, in a way, 
My music is quite influenced by that, that it's always music inside another world that's a bit more catastrophic. Um, I was a dancer in a Chinese folk group when I was very small as a child. And it's only in hindsight that I could say that it has influenced me in some way. At the time, I think when you're a child and you're dancing, you don't think of it as something extraordinary. You just do it because that's what you're told to do. But more and more in my music, I realize that I have the rhythm of the music inside my body. And it's something that's coming out more and more as I grow up, as my technique as a composer is improving. And then in contrast to that, I was always playing the piano because I had piano lessons. But classical music was always a private world for me. So Scriabin or Chopin or Messiaen was music that I played at home to myself. And then when I was in public dancing, I was in this crazy metallic and percussionish sort of catastrophic Chinese music, which I don't think anyone tunes an instrument in the same way that we do in Western classical music. So for my ears, it was just a completely other sound world. But I sort of grew up um, with both, one in my public life and one in my private life. And it was only later that I realised that classical music could also be something that you put in public. So now I suppose the two worlds are meeting. At the moment, I'm working with a writer called Peter Stumm. And one of the things he always says to me is that um, if you have a favorite book, then you haven't read enough books. And I feel a little bit, it's a little bit like this with um, influences. If you've only had one thing that you can say is the absolute um, experience that has changed you, then you haven't lived enough, you haven't had enough experiences. So it's very difficult to pick one. But I'd say that um, for composing, the strongest influences on my music are not other people's music. It's the life experiences like falling in love or being afraid that your parents are going to die and how do you deal with that, um, being angry at your parents and learning how to deal with that, how to grow up out of that and learning to forgive or learning how to break up with someone, how to want children, how to deal with having children eventually, finding a person. All these things, I think, are probably greater influences on my music than other music.
Is body language a source of inspiration? Yes. Yes, a very big source of inspiration. Um, I think body language is one of the languages that I became aware of um, quite early on, um, before any other type of language, um, in the sense that beyond speaking, we have body language, and I think... Beyond that, we also have many other languages that we communicate with. But body language is always the first step after the language of words. And because music is for me something that is always reaching beyond words, body language is the first step. And that once you, once you learn to deal with that in music, it opens doors to the other, the other realms of communication on a more if you want, I suppose, spiritual level on a more, um, on a level that's not so centered around the human gaze. And suddenly the, our experience of the world is not just always looking from the eyes of a person, looking out at the world, that we can see also um, from the point of view from something else, looking at the human being. Is there an emergency if your way of writing? Yes, absolutely. The way I write, it's quite simple actually, I guess. Um, I become obsessed with a person or a thing or a smell and somehow I have to have contact with that object or that person and my way to do it is to create music, is to find this language that... Um, to say something that I can't say with words in order to access that other being, that other person or that other feeling. Are you trying to give answers or to provide questions? I'd say writing music is always about finding the questions and then trying to answer them. But usually it's the questions that don't have answers that are the most interesting.
Let's talk about words. Let's talk about voice. How do you mm-hmm. embrace voices in your pieces? Well, I think with voices, I use singing a lot. I like it because it's um, it's something that's beautiful. It's something that's poetic, and it's beyond speaking. But it's something that's for me so extraordinary that it can never be something that delivers dialogue. But most of Western opera. The singing is delivering dialogue, so I guess I'm trying to find a way to use singing in a work that makes sense to me. At the same time, creating a reality that has a language, um, a mathematics within itself, that's connected to reality, but also on a different realm. And the human voice keeps us on Earth. I think it keeps us on the planet. So no matter where you go. It's always a piece that connects to us on a human level. Sometimes in your score, singers have to sing, mm-hmm. but they have to speak as well. Ah, yes, yes. How do you find a satisfying balance? I think deciding whether or not a text should be spoken or sung always comes from the text itself. So some texts just—I think actually most texts, most words do not need to be sung um, because singing is—it's something that requires something that's so extraordinary from the body that it really, to justify asking someone to do that with the words, the words have to also ask for it. And so with most texts, if it doesn't need to be sung, then it's just spoken. Um, but more and more, I'm using amplified voices because I think it's a type of voice that Well, I'm definitely much more used to hearing in films, and and it's a way of creating intimacy that traditionally we try to create by actors acting out or singers singing out. But now with technology, we can bring people in the other way. So speaking is becoming increasingly present in my work, and singing is <laughs> getting more and more difficult. Even though I'm a composer, technically. What does mean opera? Well, I think the um, the most useful place is probably to go backwards. So, opera in its original context is just the work. If you want a creation, but opera is is just a work. 
So it's something that can encompass anything or everything at the same time. It's, for me, opera is something which is just a craft. It's just something that's made. And opera which requires music, words, uh, sonography, more people than just the one person, that's when opera becomes extraordinary and become something that's greater than the sum of its parts. I don't think opera is defined by a sound or a character or a structure. I think these are all the limits that we're looking to open. As a woman, as a conductor, as a composer, how do you imagine the future of opera in 20 years? Well, now what we're seeing is an increase in interest in finding artists who are not the central norm in Western classical art. And that would be male, white, European. And I think there is a great hunger for things, for the voices which have not yet been heard through this art form. And I think that transcends gender, it transcends race, it transcends location, it probably transcends the planet. I'm sure if we found aliens on another planet, we would ask them to write an opera. <laughs> um, but that's only a good thing, I think, because it's in the same way that lots of political movements have given voices to the oppressed rather than the oppressor. Now we're giving voices to people who have not yet been heard. And I think that's a very important part of art. Thank you, Jamie Mann. Oh, okay, thank you. A podcast by Enoa, developed with the support of the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union.